Well, good morning and welcome to the Hills Church. Welcome to everybody who's live at one of our campuses or joining us online or later on podcast. My name's Taylor. I'm uh, one of the teaching ministers here. And before we get into this week's message, I want to say something about last week's messages. I say messages because if you weren't here last week, it was Communicators Weekend. We do this once a year, and on Communicators Weekend, we have a different speaker at every single service across our three campuses. And the only regret I have each year is that I can't hear all of them in person live. Uh, this, uh, this year, I started at the Keller campus and, uh, and, and heard a great message, drove across to West Fort Worth on the drive. I was listening to the stream uh, from NRH, and so I had a multi-campus day, and then later in the week, listened to all of the messages, which you can do on our podcast or on YouTube, and I would encourage you to check them out because every single message, God brought something unique from each communicator, such a blessing and a gift. And so at all of our campuses, can we do this one, one time? Can we just thank all of our communicators that brought a word last weekend? Like, just one of those moments that makes me grateful and, and proud to call the Hills Church home when I see all the, all the different people that God uses in so many different ways. And this is just one example. Well, uh, I wanna start with a little icebreaker game that I learned last year. I was on a trip with some people I didn't know very well, uh, and during mealtimes, we started playing a game that somebody introduced, and it's called If You Really Knew Me. And it's a really simple game. You just kind of go around and you say, if you really knew me, you'd know, and then you share like a little story or a fact from your childhood or maybe a hidden talent, any random kind of thing uh, as a get to know you game. And, uh, and so for a second, just, just picture yourself uh, at that table and you're, it, it's your turn and you say, if you really knew me, you'd know. And now just right, right now, live at our campuses, turn to somebody next to you and, and just share what was the thing that you might say. If you really knew me, you'd know. Go ahead, say it out loud. Here's what I can predict. Across our campuses, there are introverts looking at people next to them saying, if you really knew me, you'd know not to ask me to play this game. <laughs> so so let's, uh, let's do a twist on the game. If you really knew Jesus, you'd know. Now, how would you end that sentence? Here's a better question that I've been asking this week. How would the disciples, those closest to him, have finished that sentence? If you really knew Jesus, well, Peter might say, you'd know he loves kids, loves having kids around. If you really knew Jesus, James might say, you'd know he'll break bread with anybody. If you really knew Jesus, they might say, you'd know that if you can't find him, He's probably off somewhere praying. I've been thinking about these disciples, the time that they spent with Jesus and, and all of the things they got to know about their rabbi, their teacher. And among them was that Jesus really was a man of prayer. Jesus talked about prayer a lot and he prayed a lot. It was present in his teaching and evident in his life. And for the next four weeks, we're going to look at how Jesus prayed and some of what he said about prayer. 
And I, I want to address for a moment, especially for this first message of the series, uh, some, some beloved people in our church that as a preacher, I love the folks I'm about to talk to. And those are my note takers and my Bible follow alongers. Uh, I really, really appreciate how you come ready to take notes and follow along and, and you flip between your pages to get to the different passages. And I just, I want to come with an admission and a little bit of a warning. If you try to Bible follow along in this sermon, you will be flipping most of the sermon. We're going we're gonna to look at a lot of passages inside the Gospels because when you start talking about prayer and looking at the life of Jesus, it is all over his life. And for those taking notes, here's what we're going to start with. Prayer anchored the pace of Jesus's life. It's the first thing we're going to look at. That across his ministry, which included crowds of people flocking to see him, it included, it included high-profile meals with, with influencers inside uh, the religious community and the towns that he was in. It, it included kind of, kind of really intense moments with people who were very angry with him or with mobs who came after him. It included intimate moments with Jesus stepping into the most broken places of people's lives and trying to help them and heal them or, or, or even free people from demonic oppression. So many things that Jesus did, and he's always going from place to place in an itinerant ministry, and yet prayer anchored the pace of Jesus's life. Here is the first earliest moment we read in the Gospels of Jesus praying. Mark 1, 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This was in the midst of his ministry just starting to boom, all kinds of people coming. And early in the morning before anybody else is up, Jesus is off praying. The disciples wake up and go looking for him. And this is the first time of many that they find him praying somewhere. But just in case you're not an early morning person like me, if you don't have some farmer in your blood, you don't have to feel guilty that morning's the only time. Because I want to show you at the end of a long day of ministry in Matthew 14, 23, it says that after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Prayer was the start and the end of the day for Jesus. It was part of his rhythm of renewal, a rhythm that was throughout his life and ministry. We, we see this noted in Luke chapter five, starting in verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I love this verse because it partly answers, well, how, how did Jesus pray? How often? Often. That's how Jesus prayed. And yet I also see there's this contradiction between the success of his ministry, this, this growing popularity and notoriety and all kinds of people coming, hoping for what he will teach them, hoping for the healing he can provide. But prayer was the counterweight to the demands of the crowd and the expectations of others. But it was also the source of wisdom when Jesus was going to make key decisions. Look in Luke chapter six. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. 
This is a a pivotal moment in his ministry as a rabbi to choose his disciples, the 12 closest followers. And before he makes this decision, decision, Jesus spends an entire night praying and seeking his heavenly father for wisdom. But it wasn't just when he was seeking wisdom or preparing to make important choices. It was also when he was facing his greatest difficulty. In Matthew 26, hours before Jesus would be betrayed, put on trial, and then crucified, knowing that this is coming, Matthew 26 says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Prayer was Jesus' first response and his last resort place of refuge. This was how he lived his life. And what I love about Jesus is that as a teacher, he is practicing in the gospels what he preached. In the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most famous teachings, he says in Matthew 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, when he says go into your room, he's describing an inner room in the household where there are no windows. Jesus was doing this in the Sermon on the Mount to help people understand that prayer is not meant to be religious performance. Prayer isn't supposed to be some some moment where you impress others with your words. Or for some of us, maybe, and I don't know if you know any of these folks, it's like they have a certain way of talking, and then you start praying, and they go like King James on you. Like you ever had those moments where you're like, you're with somebody, you're just hanging out at Chipotle and it's like, all right, let's pray for this food. And all of a sudden it's like, we thank you thou Lord for this thou burrito, which you have given. Like, like Jesus is saying, prayer is not intended to be a, a religious performance for, the, for you to impress other people. Because if you do that, that's your reward. But he says, no, when you pray, you need to go into a secret place. And in the secret place, there's a reward that's from your heavenly father. And we might wonder, what is this reward? Is is it that that God kind of takes note and puts that in our spiritual account? All right, well, they showed up to pray today. They get some of that credit. No, I, I think that there's a different reward. Pastor John Ortberg writes that anytime you see life flourishing, it is because it is receiving nourishment from outside of itself. And I believe that's some of the reward that happens in the secret place of prayer. This is a message that actually our church has been hearing a version of all of this year. It started with our very first sermon series from our senior teaching minister, Rick Atchley. He preached a series called Soulful, and we have referenced that, and I've heard that mentioned and referenced multiple times over and over in the first half of this year, because it was basically helping us understand there's too many of us living an unsustainable pace of life. And when we let our, when we let kind of online set the timeline of our days, then we are moving at an unsustainable pace. And when we withdraw, not often to pray, but often to scroll or often to stream, that there are moments where we are escaping and numbing from our outer world, but we're not feeding our inner world. And I believe that 
an invitation to meet God in prayer is actually, it may seem like a different series, but it's the same message. That there is something God has for us that we won't be able to get anywhere else. But I recognize that it can be intimidating to think about going to a private place, just you and God. Because for some of us, there's an intimidation and a fear of being alone, alone with our thoughts, alone with ourselves, maybe even intimidated to be alone with God. And yet Jesus invites us to a solitary place. It's one thing to pray as a group, and there's lots of examples in scripture of us, of doing, of the church doing that. But Jesus also brings a teaching about a time that's between you and the Lord, a place of solitude. Henry Nouwen writes, solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter. The struggle, he writes, is against the compulsions of the false self. And the encounter, he writes, is with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of our new self. What Nowen is saying is that the intimidation to go to the solitary place is that you have to face yourself. All that you are, all that you don't feel like you have actually become, all that you struggle with, all that you are tempted by. But in solitude, we also find a place of encounter with a God who says, I want to be the source of your true self, your new self. And I think that's part of the reward. That's actually what we see in Jesus' life. It's not only that prayer marked and anchored the pace in which he lived his life, it's that prayer became the place of encounter with the Father. Now, I, I want to show you something that, that jumped off the pages of Scripture to me last year. I, I, uh, I was doing some, some just personal study. This was devotional time. I was not preparing for a sermon series when I, when I did this. And, and what I kind of felt led to do was to open my Bible to the Gospels and open an empty journal next to me. And as I read through the Gospels, I was going to write down every, write out by hand every verse where, uh, where Jesus talked about prayer or where Jesus prayed. And so I started doing that. And when I got to the Gospel of Luke, there was something that just jumped off the page to me that I, that I want to show you. Because when you start looking at what happened with Jesus, when he would go to all these different places to pray, there's only a few spots where we actually have recorded something that God said to Jesus in a moment of prayer. And they're in the gospel. Uh, two of them significant ones are in the gospel of Luke. So look at this. The first one is during Jesus's baptism. This is at the start of his ministry. He goes to be baptized. And when all the people were being baptized, Luke 3 writes, Jesus was baptized too. And if you're live, read those bolded words at all campuses. As he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. The place of prayer becomes the place of encounter. A few chapters later, Jesus goes on a hike with three of his followers. 
In Luke 9, Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Read those words again. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Suddenly, in the moment of prayer, Jesus is transformed, or uh, this is often referred to as the Mount of Transfiguration. He is transfigured. Some of his divine identity and glory and power is revealed. And then once again, God speaks in Luke 9, 35. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. In these two places, as Jesus is praying, he hears like God speaks to him and over him. Listen close. At his baptism. Jesus is affirmed in his identity. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At his transfiguration, Jesus is reaffirmed in his identity, but also confirmed in his authority. This is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. And in both settings, it is prayer that becomes the crucible for the place of encounter. Prayer sets the table for an encounter with his heavenly father. Now, if those two examples were all by themselves, that on its own would be significant, and here's why. When I read these, I think that we've just been given a glimpse of some of what Jesus was hearing and receiving every time he went off to a private place to pray. What this tells me, what I draw from this, is that Jesus didn't just go off to the mountainside to then lift up a bunch of requests to God. Jesus didn't just have something to offer in prayer, but he went to receive something in prayer from his heavenly Father. That means for you and me, when we, when we decide we're going to follow Jesus into the secret place and go to meet with God, prayer is more than a one-way dialogue. Prayer is more than a list of requests. Prayer is also a place, not just where I speak, but where God speaks, where God reminds me who I am, where God speaks a word over me, where God nourishes and feeds and sustains me through communion with him. And yet, these examples, they start in the Gospel of Luke. But Luke, if you're familiar with with, uh, Luke as 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 a writer in Scripture, he wrote two books, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story, the narrative of the earliest Christians and the early church beginning to kind of spread the good news of Jesus. And when you keep following in Acts, you find out that what happened with Jesus as moments of encounter in prayer start happening to his followers. In Acts 4, the church hears about some initial persecution and pushback to them spreading this word about Jesus. And they gather together in a house. They start lifting up their voices to God in prayer. And Acts 4 says that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Prayer and encounter. In Acts 9, there's this man who's been persecuting the earliest Christians, and his name is Saul. And and God, uh, Jesus actually uh, strikes Saul blind and is preparing to call him actually to become a follower of Jesus. 
And in order to, to call Saul and to help heal Saul, God decides he wants to use a man named Ananias. And here's what God tells Ananias in Acts 9. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Prayer and vision. Right after that in Acts 10, there is a Roman centurion. Saul was a super religious guy. Now we got a, a guy who is a Roman centurion that from a Jewish perspective would be on the outside of God's people. And yet he's a man of prayer. And he tells some others about a moment of encounter. In Acts 10, Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. Prayer and a divine messenger. And who's this Peter guy that he mentions? Well, Peter is a follower of Jesus. And earlier in Acts 10, look what he's up to. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened. And God has this vision for Peter that helps this Jewish man, Peter, understand that the good news about Jesus, which by the way, that good news isn't just that Jesus was a moral person or a religious person. It's that Jesus was God in the flesh. God come to redeem all of the world that he was God in the flesh who would, who would carry the sins of the world to the cross because Jesus lived a sinless life, a perfect life. And dying on the cross would pay for the sins of the world. He was buried in the grave and three days later rose by the power of God. He has all authority and dominion on earth and in heaven. And he offers forgiveness and hope to everyone who calls on his name. And he offers renewal to the world and promises to someday set all things right. That's the good news. And the good news of Jesus, God says to Peter, is not just for Jews. It is for all of the world. It is for Cornelius. And out of that, the gospel continues to spread all over. Now, what I want you to see here is that what started happening with Jesus begins to happen with his followers, and I believe it continues to happen today. Now, I wanna say something really important right here, especially for anybody listening to me who might feel a little bit skeptical. Like, Taylor, I, I get that those are examples in scripture. I'm not sure, I'm not sure that happens today, and, and I, I, I'm not, I don't wanna like draw conclusions like God owes me a vision because I pray. So, fair enough, here's what I wanna say. This is not a formula. This is not a formulaic transaction, okay? Our relationship with God is not, God has some kind of kind of heavenly blessings and messages, divine ATM machine, and prayer is not the pin code, okay? You don't pray and, and that, that means you get the stuff from God. What I'm saying is that there is a clear pattern here, a connection between pressing into God in prayer and hearing from him or experiencing him in miraculous ways. There is a pattern, and I believe that pattern is actually an invitation to us that in prayer, we might expect God to do things that we wouldn't expect on our own. Like, like here, I'll, I'll give you an, an example from last year. 
So we have a vision as a church to ask for nations and generations. And we have some goals that are tied to the nations and some goals tied to generations, but the asking component is all about prayer and asking God to do something through our church we could never do in our own power or strength. We've had different initiatives and seasons of prayer as we've started this vision. Last year, we had a midweek rhythm that we had midweek prayer. It was an hour at noon. And I had, I had the privilege of working with a team to help, to help lead this initiative of midweek prayer. Now, we started asking other people to join us to be intercessors and to pray. And when we would do that, this won't surprise you, Wednesday at noon is kind of a hard time for some folks. It's hard at the lunch hour in the middle of the week. Folks have lunch appointments. They're at their job and it's hard to kind of get away. Like this is, this is a reason that we're not doing midweek prayer at the same time anymore and trying something different. But, but we kept asking folks, especially who were on our staff. And lunch appointments are kind of a big, a big rhythm for a lot of our staff and, and ministers. But we would keep asking, and, and especially with the help of Becky Hall, one of my teammates who's amazing, we, we just kept ske- trying to schedule folks. And finally, people would, would end up, we'd find a free Wednesday and they would come. And it was always a blessing. But sometimes, and people would admit this later, they would come with this mindset of, man, you know, I know this is important for our church. And so a little bit more of obligation and a little bit more of like, I'm doing, I'm doing some teammates a favor to be here and they've been asking enough, I gotta say yes. But then we would have our hour of prayer. And after the hour, we would gather as a group and we had a rhythm of, of doing a quick debrief of like what happened during that time with you and God. What were we sensing? And over and over again, people who had come with a little bit of a mindset of obligation or, you know, you know I'll come and I'll, I'll do the team a favor and be here. They would say things like, I did not know how much I needed this time in God's presence. And then they'd share an encounter story. They'd share a moment where they felt and sensed God's presence for the first time that week because it'd just been so busy. Or we'd be in the middle of prayer and they'd just be weeping. And later we'd say, hey, what was happening there? And they'd say, you know, I don't know what came over me. I didn't come in expecting that, but that was a holy moment. And they'd talk about how some scripture spoke to them. Or, or they'd say, I'm so glad you, just, you guys kept asking us to come because God had something for me here that I didn't realize. It was just over and over again, seeing this example of how God was nourishing and encouraging and speaking to people just because they were making time and setting apart space for prayer. Hills Church, I'm, I'm convinced that in my own life, there are times when I'm, when I'm not experiencing communion with God, it's because I have stopped following Jesus in his prayer life. I'm convinced that there are a number of Christians who have said, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And yet sometimes the temptation is we focus on the ethics that he taught. They are so important. How we treat others, God cares about it so much that it's one of the greatest commandments of how we love others. And yet if we focus on the ethics of what he taught, but we don't look at the practice of how he lived, then I think sometimes we're missing out without realizing it. Now, I, I, I wanna say something. For everybody who is a follower of Jesus, if you follow Jesus, he will lead you to the secret place. 
If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if he is your rabbi, your teacher, the one who you follow, he will lead you to the secret place. Because if you follow him, you're going to end up there. Let me say it a different way. You cannot follow Jesus without ending up in the secret place. Because if you follow in his footsteps, you'll find yourself often in a solitary place for prayer. Now, I recognize we all have different lives and your solitary place may look different. You may not have, you may not be going to a mountainside. Well, we're in Texas. You may not be going to a hillside. You may, you may not be going, you may not be going, you know, early in the morning while it's still dark. It may be when you're driving. It may be, it may be at the end of the day, you finally put the kids down and then you go on your prayer walk. It may be that you just pull into that, that, that little spot in your room and this is your chair and that's where you go. It can look different. The point is not the practicals. The point is there is an invitation from God for you and me to find life with him. And I want to acknowledge something. There's a potential in this sermon and in this series to, to be tempted towards a mindset of guilt and shame especially for anybody who's been listening to this and you're like, it has been forever. I can't remember the last time I prayed by myself. There's a temptation that you're gonna walk away just feeling guilty today. That is not my desire. It's not my heart. And I actually think it's a work of the enemy to keep you from healthy conviction and to hear a loving invitation from your heavenly father. So let me just say this as clearly as I can. If your mindset around prayer is first leaning towards guilt or shame, then you may have a religious mindset that you're doing something for God and you feel bad because you've let God down. When I believe what God wants us to hear is from from your loving heavenly father, there is an invitation because he doesn't want you to miss out on where real life is fueled and found, which is with him. When you go into the secret place and it's been forever, you don't need to go hanging your head as if your heavenly father's saying, well, it's about time. (laughs) That's not our God. That's not his heart towards you. His heart towards you, his words over your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, are the same words he spoke over Jesus at his baptism. In fact, just for a second, if you're a Christian, I am talking to you and I want you to hear this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not just living life with Christ, You are in Christ. Those are not semantics. That matters. Here's why it matters. You on your own do not deserve the affirmation and love of your heavenly father. But in Christ, your sin and guilt has been paid for. You have been adopted into his household. He has chosen you. He loves you. And in Christ, what God spoke over Jesus, he speaks over you. You are... You are his beloved daughter with you. He is well pleased. You are his beloved son whom he chose. And he invites you to listen to his son, Jesus. Oh, God speaks this word of love over us, an invitation for us. And so if the savior of the world needed to draw power and nourishment from communion with God in prayer, if the son of God had his identity affirmed with his heavenly father. If God incarnate needed his authority confirmed, how much more do you and I need it? 
How much more do we need to follow Jesus into the secret place and do what the disciples did? It took them a while. It's all the way in Luke 11 after seeing him in prayer many times. Here's what they finally say. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, read these words at all of our campuses. Lord, teach us to pray. That's gonna be our prayer over these next four weeks. Lord, would you teach us to pray? Teach us and give us a mindset and an attitude towards prayer that is about invitation from our heavenly father, not obligation from a distant God. Teach us not just what to say, but how to enter in. And in that, God, would you teach us to pray? Would you bow with me? God, I thank you that you are a God who hears our prayers. I thank you that you are a heavenly father who welcomes us into relationship and daily connection with you. So Jesus, we ask, would you teach us to pray? I ask that first on behalf of those who are not followers of Jesus, that they would hear an invitation not only to follow you, but to put their trust in you, Jesus. And I pray that over those who have been following Jesus, whether for a few years or for a lifetime, that once again, we would humble ourselves and say, Lord, you have more to teach us. Teach us to pray. Transform our lives from the inside out. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.